The word almost just might be one of the saddest words in the English language. He almost graduated. She almost got the promotion. They almost made their marriage work. She almost got an A on the test. Or in King Agrippa's case, he was almost persuaded to be a Christian. The part about the word almost that's sad in these sentences is the end result. He didn't graduate. She didn't get the promotion. They didn't make their marriage work. She didn't get an A, and King Agrippa wasn't saved. A recent study was taken, and the results of this study are quite staggering. It seems that one out of 100, or 100 out of 100 people die. Everybody dies. And for those of you keeping score at home, that's all of us. One of these days, you and I are going to die. Have you thought about that very much? Have you thought about the fact that one of these days there's going to be a tombstone with our epitaph on it? How will your epitaph read? Here are some epitaphs that famous folks came up for themselves. Here lies Stacy Keach, born and raised a Georgia peach. I lived my life on the beach, and now it seems I'm out of reach. <laughs> Filmmaker and director Miles Foreman says, I'm speechless. Trust me. Comedian Artie Johnson says, It seems I have run out of tomorrow. And for Calvin Klein, this simple tombstone, Calvin Klein for eternity. Sometimes tombstones describe how a person died. Here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. Sometimes tombstones are painfully blunt. Here is where friend Starkweather lies. Nobody laughs. Nobody cries. Where he goes, how he fares, nobody knows and nobody cares. When you die, and you will, what will your tombstone say? What will your family and your friends write? Will it be something you can be proud of? The fact is, we are all running the race of life. We're all running right now, but one day we are going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to die. Let's say this together. I am going to die. Let's say it again. I am going to die. And now that everybody's nice and cheerful and happy, <laughs> can I remind us this morning that 
even though we are going to die, that we don't know when that's going to be. We don't know how much life we have left. One thing I know for a fact, I can't change anything that's happened in the past. You can't either. All New Hope was established in 1946. That's been a minute, y'all. It's been right at 80 years. I don't think there's anybody still here that was here in 1946. If the Lord lets the earth stand this long and if Old New Hope is still here in 80 years, that's going to be just about the year 2100. I doubt that any of us, now maybe Dawson or Evan or Brantley, some of us younger folks might, but for the most, in 80 years, guess what, y'all? We're going to be out there, right? We're going to be a member. And just like Old New Hope has turned its membership over, we can't do anything about the way 1946 Old New Hope was ran, right? That's before our time. We don't have, we're not going to have a whole lot to say about what the future Old New Hopes. The only thing that we can do is try to set it up for success. And that gets us to where we're going in this lesson. Believe it or not, this is not a sad lesson. Because the only thing we can control in our life, we can't control the events. Some of us are going to have a long life left. Some of us will be short. For most of us, it will be shorter than we think. For some folks, death will come quickly. For some folks, death will be slow and painful. Some folks seems like they have a life that they have a silver spoon in their mouth. For others, life is long, hard, and an uphill battle. And while we can't control the length of our life, and while we can't control how and when we will die, can I tell you the one thing that we can control is how we are going to finish. How we're going to finish our walk. And it's my prayer for myself and for you this morning that we would finish well. And when I think of the idea of finishing well or finishing strong, I can't help but go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 14. That's going to be our text this morning. Joshua chapter 14. Joshua 14 and beginning at verse 6. Let you get there. Joshua 14 and verse 6. Beginning. And we'll read down to verse 15. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb the son of Jephthah the Kenizzite said to him, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of my people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. 
So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance, and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, these 45 years, since, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going in and for coming out. Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day, how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephthah, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. And if you wonder how did this turn out, look in the next chapter, chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. Now to Caleb, the son of Jephthah, he gave a share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Sheshai, Ahaman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. So when we look at the life of Caleb, and we really see here the end of the life of Caleb, we, say, we see that Caleb finished strong. Caleb finished well. What did Caleb do? to help him finish the race of life strong. And I believe if we will apply these to our life, we too will finish strong. I don't know how much time I've got left. You don't know how much time we you've got left. But I hope you'll join me this morning by saying whatever time I have left, I'm going to work for the Lord and I'm going to finish strong. I'm going to finish well. What did Caleb do? Look back at verse 6. Chapter 14, verse 6. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephthah of the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me and Kadesh Barnea. The first thing that Caleb did in order to ensure that he would finish well, he found a partner. He found someone to go through life with. And you remember the backstory. You find this backstory in Numbers chapter 13. Remember, as Moses and the Israelites had gotten to the edge of the Jordan and they were getting ready to cross the Jordan and go into Canaan and possess the land as God had promised, Moses sent out 12 spies, told them to look at what the food situation looked like look at the land, spy it out, and come back and, and tell them about it and give a report. And you remember they brought back grapes, a cluster of grapes that was so big 
They had to put it on the middle of a pole and two people had to carry that big cluster of grapes. They said, this is what is over in the land of Canaan waiting for us. But ten of those twelve spies said, yeah, but, or nevertheless, there are also giants over there. And we are like grasshoppers in their sight and, and we just can't possess the land. Caleb told them, don't rebel against the Lord. The Lord will see us through. The Lord will, will help us through. Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies that said, yes, it, it, it's going to be difficult, but we've got God on our side. God's already given us this land. Let's go take it. And they said, oh, the giants. The giants are, are going to get us. Friday when I was at work, I felt something running up my leg. And I didn't know what it was, so I lifted my pants leg and kicked it out. And it was a little bitty spider. And I jumped back and I stepped on that spider. And then I thought about this verse. About the giants stepping on the Israelites. And remember, they did rebel. And God said, just told Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, get away from these guys. I'm going to destroy all of them. And I'll raise up a great nation through you guys. And Moses says, now hang on, God. Remember, if you do this, the Egyptians then will have cause to say, God was strong enough to bring them out of Egypt, but he wasn't strong enough to give them the land. And so God said, I won't destroy them. But he said, here's what I'm going to do. They will not see the land. They're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That whole first generation, the only people that left Egypt that entered the promised land were Joshua and Caleb because they were faithful to God on this day. So now, 45 years later, Caleb reminds Joshua, you and I have been at this a long time. We've been going through, we've been together for a long time. Can I suggest if we're going to finish well, we need each other? If we're going to finish well, we need a faith family. We need some people. I, I need people to keep me straight. I got news for you. You need people to keep you straight too. Amen? If we're going to finish well, we need a partner. Caleb and Joshua had been partners for 45 years. Paul had a host of friends who traveled with him. Remember when he writes his letters, when you get to the end of every letter, people talk about the different folks that are there with him to greet him. Jesus even had an inner circle. He had his 12 apostles, but he also had Peter, James, and John who were that inner circle that he needed to help him through life. It's easier to run the race of life with help. Don't run alone. Don't close yourself off away from everybody and say, well, I've got Jesus, that's all I need. And that may be literally true, 
But can I tell you that Jesus didn't save us to live this life alone? He put us to live in community with one another. To live in a group called the church. We're not perfect. And for those of y'all who've been running this race as long as I have, you know what I've learned in almost 60 years? There's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect pastor. There's no such thing as perfect church members either. We're going to let each other down sometime. But you know what? I love every one of y'all. And we get the Pigeon Forge this weekend, I'm going to brag on you. Because being your pastor is a privilege. You know, one of the reasons I love this church so much is because we walk through this life together. We're there for each other. We help each other. We see each other through. But not only did Caleb find a partner, look at verse 7 of chapter 14. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as was in my heart. Can I tell you that if we're going to finish well, we need a partner, we need help, we need our faith family, but we also need to learn to follow our heart. Now when I say that, what I mean by follow our heart is when you and I were born again, we were given a new heart and a new mind and a new will. We were given the Holy Spirit to live inside each one of us. And that's the heart we need to follow if we're going to finish well. Don't let your conscience be your guide. Jeremiah reminds us in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our conscience will tell us that, well, you might not be doing that, but or you might not be sinning that bad. You're doing pretty good. But we're still sinning. We're still messed up. Follow your heart as long as your heart's tied to the Holy Spirit. Amen? Josh, or Caleb said, I went to the promised land. I went to Canaan. I saw what I saw and he, he said I came back. I followed my heart and I gave a report. I followed my heart. Look at verse 8. Nevertheless my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Find you a partner Connect your heart to the Holy Spirit. Number three, avoid the crowd. You know something else I've learned in, any, in nearly 60 years of living? The crowd is usually wrong. And we know that. Did you ever get in your trouble and you tried to say, well, everybody was doing it? And have one of your parents say, I don't care if everybody was jumping off the brook. The Brooklyn Bridge, would you do that? People have been blaming other people for years. Adam blamed Eve. 
Eve blamed the serpent. And the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. Amen. The, but most of the time, the majority is wrong. If we're going to live a life that finishes well, can I tell you, we're going to have to learn how to swim upstream. We're going to have to learn to paddle our boat upstream. We're going to have to learn somewhere to find the courage to stand up for what is right. I'm pretty sure that this time back in number six is not the only time of those 45 years that Caleb had to say, wait a minute, what you guys are doing is sinful. Think about this. I learned a couple of lessons when, when putting this lesson together. Caleb did not come onto the pages of history of Israel until he was 40 years old. So you know what helped me, you know what I decided when I saw this? I decided that means when you're 40 years old, you're a young man. I made that decision. 40 is young. Is that okay with everybody? Can we say 40 years old is young? And then for 45 years, Caleb and Joshua got to watch virtually everybody they left Egypt with. Die. They wandered around in that stupid desert for 45 years. And even Moses, during that 45 years, he messed up. And he wasn't allowed to see the promised land. Joshua and Caleb didn't follow the crowd. And if we are going to be who God wants us to be, and if we are going to finish well, we can't follow the crowd either. Because, y'all, the crowd's usually wrong. The crowd will get you in trouble. I tell my guys at Turning Center all the time, don't follow the crowd. A lot of these fellas, they don't care if you get in trouble or not. Follow God. Don't follow the crowd. Look at a phrase that's found in verse 8, verse 9, verse 14. Look at the end of verse 8. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. I didn't follow the crowd. I wholly followed the Lord my God. Verse 9. Moses said, you're going to get your inheritance, the last phrase here, because you have what? Wholly followed the Lord my God. And then look at verse 14. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb. Now look at the last phrase. Why? Because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Caleb did not follow the crowd. He followed the Lord. And he didn't just follow the Lord. He followed the Lord wholly. And by holy I don't mean H-O-L-Y. I mean W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely. Don't run the race of life half-heartedly. Know where your loyalties lie and follow them 100%. Don't be a wishy-washy Christian. And by a wishy-washy Christian, I mean you're on fire one day, you're cold the next day, 
you do good for a while, then you don't do good for a while. One day you're following the Lord, the next day you're following somebody else. Revelation chapter 3 tells us the church of Laodicea was a church full of wishy-washy Christians. And you know what Jesus said about them? He said, you guys make me want to vomit you out. I got a question, y'all. How many of us like to clean up vomit? I don't see anybody raising their hand for that, uh, for that detail. But wishy-washy Christians make Jesus vomit. Y'all, we need to decide whose side we're on. And then go wholly after the Lord. Completely. Don't have a divided heart. Don't be here today and gone tomorrow. Three preachers, three country preachers were talking to each other. And they started talking about having bats up in the attic. And the first preacher said, my church, the attic is just full of bats. And I don't know what to do to get rid of them. And the second preacher said, my attic's full of bats too. And he said, I tried fumigating and pest control and they're still there. I just don't know what to do for them. The third preacher said, I don't have a bat one. He said, I used to, but I got rid of all of them. And the first two preachers said, well, what in the world did you do? The third preacher said, well, I witnessed to them, got them saved, baptized all of them, had them all join the church, and I haven't seen them since. <laughs> and while we laugh at that, can I tell you that's the way a lot of folks are? <coughs> Decide whose side you're on and wholly be dedicated to that. Can I tell you this? Can I make you a promise? I don't know where our future's going. I was talking, Marie and I were talking to our tax guy yesterday. And he is a really big conspiracy theorist. And we were talking and I don't know where this world's headed. I don't know where the church in America's headed. I, I expect one of these days, it would not surprise me at all if the world lives to 2100 A.D. And if old new whole Baptist church is here, the way our world is going and our country is going now, it would not surprise me in the least that old new whole Baptist church won't be meeting in a building like this. They may well be in a cave or in a house or several houses. In China today, the church doesn't meet in buildings like we have because Christianity is illegal. Religion's illegal. They meet in homes. And they have to be careful when they have church. If church starts at 11 o'clock, people start getting there at 7 o'clock. But they don't all come at once. They scatter the way they come. They scatter the way they leave. They come one at a time. They leave one at a time because they don't want to call attention to themselves. I don't know what the future church is going to look like, but we may not be able to be Baptists as we know it. Because most of us get to church, and I put myself right there in it. I, I live closer to the church building than I've ever lived in my life. And half the time, I'm right coming right at the time. I'm coming in on two wheels. You know how Baptists are. We get to church anywhere between 5 till 11 to 5 after 11, right? 
We all get here at the same time. In the future, it may not be that way. I don't know what the future holds, but can I make you a promise? If you will follow the Lord completely and wholly, give Him 100% of everything you got. I don't care what happens to this church and what happens to our country. Everything will be all right. If you will wholly, completely follow the Lord, the Lord will take care of you. I can't control what's happened in our country in the past. I can't control what's happened in the future. The only thing I can control for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And we're going to do our best to finish well. I hope you'll join us. Look at verse 10 of chapter 14. And now Caleb said, Behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. For 45 years, Caleb's been wandering. God gave Caleb 45 years to grow up. I told you that at 40 years, Caleb was young. I don't know where Caleb got his heart when he was 40 years old, but him and Joshua stood firm for the Lord. I don't know if they were taught the Lord's ways by their parents, their grandparents, but God gave Joshua and Caleb some time to grow up. 45 years. Can I tell you that I don't know how much longer we have in our life. But God in his time will give us our reward. In his time. Do you suppose that it ever crossed Caleb's mind when the people were rebelling and complaining about the water and different plagues went on them, that fiery serpent started biting everybody. Do you ever suppose that Caleb and Joshua wanted just to say, you know what, let's just slip into the promised land. They waited. Can I tell you sometimes we have to wait? I wish that life was easier. I wish that life weren't so confusing. But you know what? I believe it's going to be all right. And I believe God's going to give me my inheritance. I just have to be patient. If you know me very well, you know that's not easy for me to do. I'm patient as long as you give it to me right now. I like the idea of being patient. You know? I like the idea of losing 40 pounds. I, I would be so much healthier and I'd feel better. And I think of how much a big block of shortening weighs at McDonald's, 50 pounds. I thought, boy, if I could get rid of this, I sure would feel better. I like that idea, but I want it right now. I don't want to deal with the struggles of life. But you know what? And we've talked about it all through 1 Peter. Dealing with the struggles of life is just part of getting 
to our inheritance. Caleb had a rough 45 years with this bunch of complaining Israelites. A couple of times they threatened to stone. After Caleb and Joshua made their good report back in Numbers 13, when Caleb said, don't rebel against the Lord, the people threatened to stone them. Find them a new leader and take them home. They thought home was in Egypt. Joshua and Caleb understood home was across the river. Amen. Can I tell y'all our home's across the river? This world's where we're living, but it ain't home. One day we'll get there when God's ready. Verse 11. Tying verse 10 into it. Caleb says, Now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Y'all, can I tell you this? As Christians, we never get to retire. How many of us are looking forward to not working, just sitting back and taking it easy? Can I remind you that as we can retire from our physical jobs, I hope to retire in about eight years from the state. But can I tell you one thing? When I retire from the state, I'm ready to jump into kingdom work with both feet. With whatever energy I have left, I want to be like Caleb. Caleb doesn't say, well now boys, I'm 85 years old. I'm going to sit here on the rocking chair, in my rocking chair and drink tea. And y'all go fight the Amalekites. Them boys are giants. Caleb says, here I am, I'm 85 years old. I'm just as strong today as I was when I was 40. 45 years ago. Can I just say, bless Caleb's heart. I cannot say that I feel just as strong as I did when I was 40 years old. But can I tell you this? I am more dedicated to the Lord today than I was when I was 40 years old. And as God gives me energy, I hope to stay just as energetic for him in the future as I have in the past. Y'all, as a lot of our churches gray-headed, you don't get to retire from church work. Now, we'll do our best not to make gray-headed folks climb up on top of the roof and fix the bell. Amen? That's what we have young folks like Clayton for. He's not here today, so I'm preaching. I'm volunteering. That's how you get on committees, be gone from the business meeting, and you get drafted and put on a committee. But can I tell you that just because you're gray-headed doesn't mean you're useless? You have wisdom. You have knowledge. We say that young folks are the future of the church, and, and there's some truth to that. But can I tell you that it's older folks that paved the way for our younger folks to make the future of Old New Hope Baptist Church? We don't get to retire. 
There's always work to do in the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual war. Verse 12. Caleb says, Now therefore give me this mountain, of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim, that's the giants, they were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Can I tell you if we're going to finish well, don't avoid the mountains. Did you know a mountaintop view is beautiful? But the only way you enjoy a mountaintop view is to climb the mountain. Amen? You got to, it's difficult. It's hard. Way back when I was young, I'd have been about 23 years old, 24 years old. A group of us went to the Smokies and we decided we were going to hike the chimney tops campground, or trail up to the top of the chimney tops. And right at the beginning of that trail, it says, warning, this is a very strenuous trail. And my friends and I looked at each other, and we said, that's not for us. That's for old people, pregnant people or something. That, that's not us. And so we took off up the mountain. I like to die. Never have I been so thirsty in my life. About halfway up that mountain, we crossed a little creek. And a lot of us didn't have water. We didn't carry water with us. And so we laid down on our bellies drinking water out of this creek. And these people were saying, this water, you don't drink the water in the creek. It's nasty. My buddy said, you shut up. <laughs> he said, we're thirsty. Can I tell you that why it was difficult? It was hard, even for young 23-year-old males. And what made it even worse, when these 50-year-old guys came down with backpacks on and just, just hawking right along. <laughs> Boy, you wanted to mumble and complain. <laughs> but when we got to the top of the mountain, you talk about spectacular views. But the only way to see them is to climb the mountain. So many of us want to avoid the mountains and the difficulties of our life. I can promise you, I don't know exactly what we'll do when we go to the mountains, but we won't be hiking the chimney top trail. <laughs> One thing, it's closed. Because they're rebuilding it after the fire they had up there. But even if it were not closed, we still wouldn't be hiking that trail. But you know what we, what we very may, may well do? We may very well drive to the top of the mountain and take a peek on what we can see while we're there. Don't avoid the mountains. 85-year-old man, Caleb says, you give me my mountain. Who cares about those giants? Caleb says, God will take care of me. He'll give me my inheritance. We found out that's the way it worked out. Caleb whooped all those giants. Caleb and his people. But notice Caleb didn't sit in his rocking chair. He said, well, we'll go get them. Let's go, boys. Time to saddle up and go to war. That's what they did. 
Don't avoid the mountains of your life. Verse 14. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephthah of the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Can I tell you if you're going to finish well, if I'm going to finish well, we need to focus on our inheritance. For 45 years, Jacob was thinking about his mountain. 45 years ago, Moses told him, one of these days you'll have your mountain. 45 years later, Caleb says, now it's time. Give, give me my mountain. Too many Christians lose focus on their inheritance. And they drop out of the race. I've said before, y'all, this isn't our home. Our home's over the river. And we've got many mountains to climb before we get there. Some of us more mountains than, are, than others. For those of you that are older, thank you for the life you've lived for Jesus. For those of you that are younger and just getting started on your race, remember whose side you're on and be wholly dedicated to the Lord and know where your future is. I'm afraid for my children and my grandchildren and your children and your grandchildren of what's coming in the future. If you're on the Lord's side, remember whose side you're on and stand up against the crowd and keep your eye on your inheritance. And then finally, verse 15. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba, Arbel was the greatest man among the Anakim. He's like the bad, bad Leroy Brown of those giants. He was defeated by Caleb and his people. Then it says, the land had rest from war. When you get where God wants you to be, you'll find peace. Too many folks can't find peace because they're not where God wants them to be. And can I tell you that if you claim to be a Christ follower, if you haven't wholly, totally, wholly dedicated yourself to him, he's not going to have, let you have peace until you do. So you might as well just get there, amen? Because God's not going to leave you alone until you do. But when we get to where God wants us to be, we'll find peace. Are you facing trouble? Stress, turmoil. Could it be that you're not where God wants you to be? If not, you need to get there. There once was a man named Jim Elliott. I don't know if you've heard of Jim Elliott or not, but he and a group of his friends were called to be missionaries to some of the native people groups in Ecuador. He and his friends followed God's leading and they moved to Ecuador to preach to the natives there. And it turns out that their missionary journey was a short one. The very folks they had been teaching turned on them and killed them. And it seems like a tragic thing and in some ways it is, but these men lived their lives following God's plan for their life. 
following God's calling, and they were right where God wanted them to be. And can I tell you that even though they were young men, they finished well. Right before he moved, he, Jim Elliott married his wife, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth would go on to do great missionary work as well. But Jim Elliott wrote in his journal shortly before his death. He says, I don't seek a long life, but a full one. A life like yours, Lord Jesus. Where are you in your spiritual race? Roger, Mary, Eddie, if y'all come on up. We're going to do an invitation song. What are we going to sing? 104, Amazing Grace. Where are you in your walk right now? In your race? Can I tell you that living life is sort of like paddling a canoe race backward? You don't know when you're going to get to the finish line. You just have to keep on paddling. Amen. <clears throat> We said as we started this lesson, I'm going to die. And I didn't have us do that just to have an exercise in morbidity. I want us to understand we're going to die. Then Hebrews 9.27 tells us it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You and I are going to stand before God. Are you ready to meet it? Are you running the race of life? If you haven't started running your spiritual race, boy, this morning will be a great time to do it. Admit you're a sinner. Y'all, I'm a sinner. Everybody in this room, we, we've all, we all admit we're sinners. But then understand that even though you're a sinner, you can't save yourself. You say, well, I'm not good enough to be saved. Y'all, I'm not either. No one in this room is good enough to be saved. But I know a fellow who was. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he died on the cross for you. He says, if you'll come, he says, I stand at the door and knock. All who would like to enter. Say, Lord, I can't save myself, but you can save me. Lord, save me. And the Lord promises to save you, and He will. And can I tell you, and I promise you this, it will be worth it. I don't know how many mountains you're going to have to climb, but the view from the top is worth it. And maybe you started that race, and maybe you dropped out. Maybe you got tired. Maybe you got discouraged. Maybe you got worn out. Caleb had to wait 45 years to get to his inheritance. That's a long time. I'm sure there were times he got discouraged. When he got to the end, he said, Get me. Are you ready for your mountain this morning? While we stand, as we say, won't you come?